Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined this time on this Friday by Patrick Bennett Darty and handsome Hayden Winks. Hayden, you got the last minute call, a pull from the bullpen. Is that the right terminology, Pat? Where uh, John Daigle, if you guys could not tell early on Tuesday, had a little bit of a raspy voice. We're going to think positive thoughts and especially positive thoughts because Hayden joins us today. How are you, gentlemen? I'm just bringing the youth here. That's all I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> running as fast as I can from the bullpen. If I was coming in from relief, I would be doing a full-on sprint. You can bet, best believe you're, yourself on that. I know he wasn't like the best person, Pat, but wasn't that like John Rocker's thing? Just like dead sprint from the bullpen? Uh, yeah, to put it mildly, he was not the best person. I believe he's part of a certain <laughs> football team's ownership group um, uh-huh. right now. That's a joke, but um. I, was, I should use this part of the podcast. Is I wonder if any of the listeners have an N95 mask they could send me so I felt comfortable going to get a haircut. Um, my wife would be much obliged. She'd be very happy. Do you, um, do you not trust the wife enough to at least experiment with all the hair that you do have, Pat? I do not. She's been stumping for that. But uh, for hairline reasons, I don't think she could pull it off. Um, Got it. I don't know. She does it with the kids. My son has very curly hair, so he has like a very high margin for error when you cut his hair. And you know, my daughter's is just very long. You snip a little off the back. But this nest here, I don't know if she would know how to approach this. I mean, nothing sounds more romantic, Pat. Like a, a bottle of wine, you know, some scissors, a little three-eighths inch uh, guard on the end of a razor, and just, you know, come back looking like a new man on Tuesday. I think that's a I have idea. ordered a uh, beard trimmer. There you go. Um, the beard might go some point soon. I don't know about the mustache. Okay. Uh, I actually, Pat, have an update for you. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago, you and I discussed where the Rotor World Football Podcast stands in international rankings. Um, you know, I felt, you know, our, our friends in, in Iceland, our fans in Denmark wanted also some, some more love, knowing that some other people out there are listening to this. Uh, we've expanded, gentlemen. We are now the 34th most listened to football podcast in Mexico. Um, We are now the 29th most listened to football podcast, which I actually did some research, includes soccer podcasts as well in Sweden. And maybe this is because of your heritage here, Hayden. Norway, Norway, we're 51. I mean, (laughs) if, if I could pinpoint it, Hayden, I think your appearances, how many they've elevated, is also elevating the places where tall, blonde, Fair-skinned people also reside. 
Yeah, uh, you nailed it. I am uh, definitely a little Norwegian, a little German, a little Italian, a little Scottish, a little bit of everything. Uh, I don't really You're celebrate a little American, any of it. basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, no culture, basically, for me. <laughs> That's good. I will say, in Norway, if you crack the top 50 football podcasts, you're allowed to invest in their sovereign wealth fund. So that's really something for us to aim for. Uh, well, I think that joke went both over the heads of Hayden and myself, Pat. That was a very niche joke. That was a very niche <laughs> joke for yourself. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And your international politics. Okay, Uh, we will move along. Um, We have hinted and suggested that we are writing up team previews for every single team. All 32 franchises up on Rotoworld right now. We're about halfway through. Yes, halfway through. Uh, so we thought at this midway mark, halftime, we would kind of pause. Each of us have written a handful of them. I've only written two. But list some takeaways, the most important facts about some of the things that we have learned. Because as Hayden mentioned the last show, you know, so often we look at it from a, a player perspective when looking at ADP and fantasy rankings, so on and so forth. But understanding the team aspect and, and the team cohesion and chemistry really brings a different element to this. I'm sure, Hayden, you've thought of that exact same idea when writing your previews so far. Yeah, definitely. It's just you have to nail the quarterback and then his receivers in that order and then figure out the running game as well and it all kind of ties in like how strong you think the team will be how often they're going to be trailing how often they're going to be uh passing the ball when they're trailing all these different things that come in come into play and you basically have to project every single one of those and if you're wrong on even a little aspect of that you can throw the whole equation out the window yeah and what they do when they're trailing what they do when they're leading uh, how many targets how many touches are still on the table and maybe most importantly what these potential new offenses will look like uh, uh, with maybe new players around them or, or new play callers. And it's all a projection, but this really does make us focus on a single team. Okay. Since we have this outlined, we're going to hit on five teams today and Patrick Bennett Darty, why don't you go first? Hit us with one. Well, the first thing I learned is I need to assign myself better teams. Um, <laughs> I've so far written up the Jaguars, Broncos, bears, and the Cardinals. One of my favorites. Um, but I'll say the first, my main takeaway so far, uh, revelation, if you will, is that maybe I've been being a little hard on Gardner Minshew. Uh, I thought people had kind of just – I thought Minshew was kind of more meme than like actual prospect, and I still think that is probably the case. But like when you dig underneath the hood, uh, I don't know if I realized just quite how solid his rookie season was. Uh, his 21 touchdowns were tied for the eighth most amongst rookies uh, this century since 2000. 
Same is true of his quarterback rating. Uh, amongst the 54 quarterbacks to make at least eight starts this century, uh, he threw the fourth fewest picks with six. Uh, you know, kind of showed surprising athleticism with his legs, 344 yards rushing. It was the fifth most amongst all quarterbacks last season and the 11th most amongst all rookies this century. And just that, you know, the arm will not blow you away uh, necessarily with Gardner Minshew. But, I mean, he does have two things that you cannot teach. He has poise and he has moxie. Um, so all we ever look for, of course, is the intangibles. I don't care at all about stats or measurables at all. <laughs> You're hurting me over um, here, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, basically just that I maybe uh, have been a little too dismissive of Gardner Minshew and maybe a little less surprised that the Jags, you know, who are kind of stuck in neutral to begin with, uh, maybe a little less surprised now that they're giving him the second season. You know, they weren't going to re- – once they decided they weren't going to get a quarterback in the draft, I, I was just kind of baffled by the Jags' complacency at quarterback this offseason. But I understand it a little more after digging more under the hood with Gardner Minshew. Yeah, there's kind of two sides to this, Pat. There is the part that I definitely am with you that Gardner Minshew, through stretches of last season, one wasn't even a player any of us were even considering as like an actual NFL talent heading into last year, but also looked like a competent quarterback. And there were times like on a week to week basis when I was writing this up that he outplayed Kyler Murray in those weeks. Like he has a comfort in chaos. And I don't think that that's something that you can necessarily teach. Like when a play breaks down, he absolutely wants to make something happen. But Hey, the other aspect of this is that the Jaguars have the lowest projected win total in the NFL, right? Like there, there is the aspect of, is this team really trying to win in 2020? I mean, they have kept Doug Marone for so long, and I don't think it would be a shock to any of us if Jay Gruden, who is now the offensive coordinator, comes in and maybe picks up this team as his own team halfway through the year. But that doesn't disregard you know, potential exciting players and exciting games and exciting moments that this team can have. Yeah, assuming Jay Gruden can survive the rumors that are circulating on the yes. internet right now, uh, I think we can expect the Redskins – or not the Redskins, the Jaguars to – play a little bit better on offense just simply because Doug Marone's not going to have as much of a stranglehold on the offense. I did an analytics rankings where I looked at all the offenses on how, um, how often they're passing, how they're passing, how they're running, all the things that the analytics want to do. And the Jaguars shockingly ranked 31st out of my (laughs) rankings. Um, I think that Jake Rudin would bring a little bit of um, a little more pizzazz to the offense. Hopefully we don't get Leonard Fournette just running it up the middle as often. And hopefully we're not getting all these Leonard Fournette checkdowns at, I don't care which stat you look at. Leonard Fournette was probably the worst targeted uh, player last season. And just having Chris Thompson there, maybe LaVisca Chanel does something that Gardner Minshew has a little bit better of a chance. But like you said, this is still probably going to be the worst team or one of the bottom three worst teams in the league this year. So, Pat, let me ask you this. Because DJ Chark emerged as a legitimate number one wide receiver in the NFL last season. I, I think he absolutely maintains that role this year. Is there anyone else in this offense? I mean, Gardner Minshew can be a spot starter, a streaming option. But other than that, like, I mean, D.D. Westbrook had his moment in this spotlight last offseason. You know, I don't think any of us really get excited about drafting Leonard Fournette. Chris Thompson has history. I keep saying these names, but Pat, is it really just D.J. Chark as someone who you're potentially excited about? More or less. I mean, Chris Conley is another guy where if you dig a little beneath the surface, it's maybe a little more impressive than you would have uh, guessed or realized last year. But 
the targets, there's just not going to be enough targets there for him, you know, to make a real fantasy impact. Uh, I wasn't going to get excited about anybody. Uh, I guess maybe be Ryquel Armstead just because we know Hayden at the, the, the bare minimum, the Jaguars are not going to be funneling these go nowhere targets to Leonard Fournette again, a hundred just totally wasted targets last year. Uh, you know, they told anyone who would listen, they wanted to trade him this off season. Uh, like the the lights are blinking red that they want to be done with Leonard Fournette didn't exercise his fifth year team option. And he's just going to be on a much, much shorter leash this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if Reichel Armstead has a role, uh, you know, from the, from the jump basically. And if Leonard Fournette runs and catches like he did last year, that they'll, they're going to start giving away some of those touches and, I, I love Ryquel Armstead as kind of a late round hedge and not even necessarily just as like a potential upside or running back who could, especially in the second half of the season, maybe be like an RB two or three for you, depending on how things go. Josh, hey, how's it going with Divina Zigbo? Is he still alive out here? <laughs> uh, that's from the podcast, Divina Zigbo. Right. And and look, he, he got some touches towards the end of last season. It, again, this is, team is so up in the air that so many storylines – we can guess that they might happen, but one is like Leonard Fournette's not on this team halfway through next season. And you know, it could, that, he could be traded in training camp. I mean, there's a chance he's not even on the team in week one. I mean, that's probably unlikely, but right. I mean, the, the Jaguars, have, I mean, they couldn't have made it clear that they're ready to move on from this. They, they gave it all they were going to give it and they're ready to move on from the Leonard Fournette experiment. One final name, Hayden, we talk so much about tight ends this off season, yet I feel like half the NFL audience does not even realize that Tyler Eifert is on this team. What if we get 16 games of Tyler Eifert back with Jay Gruden? Then he'll finish as the tight end 18 overall. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> don't, uh, don't forget about Josh Oliver, a worky washout, top 70 pick last year. Maybe hold on to him in Dynasty Leagues for another year at tight end. Chenault's uh, going to be fascinating because this team is basically said he's an offensive weapon. That's Maybe a red flag. Well, what if? Okay, here the the one case don't work out. Chenault is what if they get in the red zone and they just want to use his big frame and wildcat? That's exactly what Colorado did. There was a lot of goal line carries, a lot of short yardage. He was super effective on that stuff. Maybe that's one way to get Leonard Fournette out of the offense. Is hey, it's third and two. Now we're bringing in Lavisca Chenault. Maybe. Chanel, he's a very intriguing talent. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be kind of beating a dead horse. I've said it a lot on this podcast and other podcasts, which offensive weapons, uh, you know, in general have a very difficult time being integrated into offenses. And just this year, the Corona year where there were zero off season reps of any kind, it's just going to be doubly difficult for people like Chanel to carve out a role. And yeah, I just, I would have very low expectations uh, for the Buffalo. He, he reminds me a lot of Cordero Patterson without an athletic profile. And so I'm not sure what to do with that. I know every player is different, but that was the profile that he reminded me of. Okay. Next team. Since you spent so much time, more than this entire offseason on the Jaguars. Uh, Hayden Winks, you're up next. All right. We'll go to a team that actually matters, the Baltimore Ravens. And when I was writing about the Ravens uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, the big thing that kept jumping out to me is that this offense is going to be passing the ball more so than they did last year. They were, only trailing at 19% of their offensive snaps last season. That was the best in the NFL. They were also leading on 60% of their offensive snaps. That was also the best in the NFL. So I think just like with regression in general, that Lamar Jackson is probably going to throw around 440 to 460 pass attempts next year. Last year, he was only at 400. They were last in team drop back. So I think that regardless, we're going to see the Ravens pass the ball more. And that's great news for Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And, with Marquise Brown, he only played three games 
last season where he played 75% of the snaps or more. And then Mark Andrews only ran a route on 61% of the Ravens dropbacks. So I think that you're going to get more passing volume and you're going to get the best playmakers, hopefully on the field more. And with you come to, I agree, there's going to be more Ravens passing volume. And, you know, we take it as like an article of faith that Lamar Jackson's going to have touchdown regression, and he probably will, and probably even rushing yardage regression. But he has so much room to grow in the passing yards department and the passing volume department that that could offset a lot of this natural expected regression. You know, maybe not make him, not that people are expecting him to tumble in fantasy, but you know, really kind of offset some of this uh, regression that we're all expecting. The Mark Andrews situation is is interesting because you mentioned it, Hayden. He basically played the same amount of snaps that Hayden Hurst did last year. And that's a team that was exciting when they used three tight ends because they would, you know, bunch them together if they were in a personnel grouping that allowed for it in terms of smaller defensive groupings. And then they would spread you out and still throw the football with two great receiving tight ends. They don't really have another receiving tight end on the roster now. So I'd expect so many more of those targets and those opportunities to be funneled to Mark Andrews. But we talk about passing volume gaining this year for Lamar Jackson. But is it really going to be resulting in another passing option really succeeding in this offense? Because I don't think so. Like, I still think it's Marquise Brown. I still think it's Mark Andrews. And, you know, you're going to have some games of Miles Boykin. You might have some games of Devin DuVernay. Who knows what else? But that's not really and, – and maybe we miss on someone, right? Maybe this is an offense that is so good with a quarterback that is so good that it's difficult to peg that one third option in the passing game. Um, if you could mention one, Hayden, who would it be? Well, I think you have to look at the running backs. Maybe J.K. Dobbins taking on a little bit more of a receiving role. But that I don't think that is going to be Lamar Jackson's style. He's going to be jumping off to the flats to his running backs. So he's just going to rather be scrambling. I think the biggest thing is that we're going to see a jump from like Marquise Brown as like a wide receiver three where he's being drafted into like the wide receiver two mix. Or Mark Andrews jumps into the George Kittle, into the Travis Kelsey tier um, where he becomes a second round pick next year. I think that that's the most likely thing just because Miles Boyk and Willie Sneed, Devin Duvernay, they're just completely, um, I mean, really just unproven talents at this point. Yeah, I, I w- <clears throat> it is a big talking point. We've all talked about this offseason, how the Ravens didn't check down. That mm-hmm. probably won't change, but there probably will be a few more running back targets this year. And you know, Nick Boyle is not like an amazing pass catching talent, but he, he has been involved as a pass catcher for the Ravens. So, it's not like he's going to be fantasy viable, but I mean, it wouldn't be shocking to see like 25 receptions for Nick Boyle even. So I, I Hayden, I think at the nail on the head, it's just going to be more the core talents getting more looks and the goodness really not spreading down to like a clear third option. Um, I should, you know, suggest the elephant in the room is the scarf that I have on, by the way. <laughs> Aston Villa is currently playing a match right now that they need to win. So I'm, but my focus is all on you guys. My focus is entirely on you. It's not on the iPad right next to me right now. Uh, okay, let's move on. I'll go Very to. Professional. <laughs> I'm always super professional, Pat. You know that in whatever I do. Uh, I want to talk about Houston Texans. Um, Houston Texans are a team where they have Thanos as their head coach, GM, whatever you want to call it. And like, this is a team that in the last two years has. Trade away Jadavion Clowney. I should even say the last year. Carlos Hyde, they've acquired. Kenny Stills acquired. Laramie Tunzel acquired. Gary Conley, all in trades. You know, they hired this 
character coach in Jack Easterby, who he, who even knows what his role is, but he's now like the vice president of uh, football operations. Um, more roster turnover, obviously, this season with DeAndre Hopkins leaving, bringing in David Johnson, his $11 million cap, but trading a second-round pick for Brandon Cooks. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is rarely does a team have that much turnover and changeover and a new look in like multiple seasons, and the Texans did it in one offseason. And that's because there are no like checks and balances here with with Bell O'Brien. But with that said, he still thought low enough about their offensive output that he changed their play caller. He is no longer the play caller. Nids is this guy named Tim Kelly now, who I also learned is brothers of right tackle of the Titans, Dennis Kelly. Um, and But Tim Kelly has never called plays in the NFL. So I, I guess my biggest question is, what is this offense going to be? You know, what is this offense going to look like? And I can kind of see what the Texans are doing based on their personnel, right? Like you add another vertical passer in Brandon Cooks to go along with Will Fuller, who's insane production when he plays with Deshaun Watson. So the goal is to maximize Watson, who was number two deep ball throw in the NFL last year, with a 54% completion rate adjusted. And then you bring in Randall Cobb, who basically had the same average depth of target last year as DeAndre Hopkins. And then you hopefully improve at running back with David Johnson, the offensive line that is more healthy with Titus Howard here. And I think I have uncovered what the goal is with this Houston Texans offense. But hey, at the end of the day, they are also projected for almost three fewer wins this year than they had last year. Yeah, on offense, this is just going to be the Madden offense. Four verts, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, hopefully they stay healthy, Kenny Stills, all going downfield, and if they're not open, then Deshaun Watson's going to scramble. I think Deshaun Watson's probably going to have a career high in rushing yards. If you look at what um, his splits when the Texans are trailing and then when they're leading, he runs the ball a lot more. So I think that Deshaun Watson himself is going to be more than fine fantasy quarterback, a top five option. Um, It's just can they get the receivers to stay healthy? And I just think that there really is no plan outside of Deshaun Watson is a elite quarterback, and they're just going to run with that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, are they going to out Cardinals, the Cardinals with four receiver sets? Uh, They didn't need to trade DeAndre Hopkins to do it, uh, but the Texans do for somehow now have one of the deeper, maybe arguably more interesting receiver groups in the NFL. Because like you said, they could have the two burners on the outside. They could have Randall Cobb and Kiki Cutie doing work over the middle. They have Kenny Stills who can do both. Um, Tim Kelly is completely unproven as a play caller, but Josh, you and I have talked many times about – Bill O'Brien made like easy things look difficult mm-hmm. uh, the past few years for the Texans somehow made, he, he made having Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins appear difficult. Like that was a difficult connection last year using DeAndre Hopkins kind of almost like Julian Edelman. And so they needed a shakeup, uh, at least credit to Bill. He did realize that they needed some sort of play calling shakeup. And I mean, they have, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it could be, that could be a euphemism for like nonsensical, but it's an interesting offense. And, yeah, it's very hard to know what to expect, but uh, we could we could get a career high. I mean, by far, uh, not just 
Hayden said rushing for Deshaun Watson. We could get a career high passing volume, like not even close. He could like blow it out of the water, right? Based on the way the offense is constructed right now, and you know they're two of the best pass catching backs in the NFL, David Johnson and Duke Johnson. But but the other part of that, Pat, is that Deshaun Watson just like does not target his backs at all, and I wonder if that's the aspect that Tim Kelly is going to work on. Are, are manufacturing these layup throws over the middle because like how often, and this is not analytically based at all, but how often do you watch, did you watch this Texans team, especially towards the end of last year and see easy middle of the field, open targets like Jimmy Garoppolo gets like Jared Goff gets, you know, it seems like Deshaun Watson never got those and he always had to work off his primary read. And then maybe part of that though, Pat is that he just doesn't use his checkdowns either. Right? Like, Carlos so running quarterbacks, a scramble it could it functions as a checkdown in a lot of ways. Right, you know? but their one thousand yard rushing back only had sixteen targets last year. You know, and Duke Johnson, who still is one of the best passing down backs in the NFL, saw a career low in targets last season as well. So maybe again, Tim Kelly's job, who apparently he's super close with Deshaun, is unlocking these new aspects of his game, and maybe because of that, we see you know a Deshaun Watson who was able to take the easy as well as create magic. And if, if so, then he absolutely will finish top five among quarterbacks this season, even without DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. So even with DeAndre Hopkins, kind of without DeAndre, kind of the takeaways, we don't really need to be fading Deshaun Watson. There's still right. a lot uh, to work with here for him for in fantasy. Okay. We are at just over the halfway point. Again, if these excite you, which I don't know why they would not excite you, go and check out all of our team previews. I know Nick is writing them as well. I know Daigle is writing them as well. Uh, again, we're halfway through. Um, and so we're just, you know, continuing to, to pepper a few of the notable notes that we found along the way. Um, Pat, we're back to you. Circle back to you. The Denver Broncos, Josh, uh, as everyone knows, uh, you know, the offseason talking point was what the Denver Broncos did in the draft and the way they're uh, kind of like surprisingly, but correctly orienting their offense around Drew Locke and Drew Locke's kind of unique ability down the field. You know, a shot, it's always shocking when you see an NFL team actually try to like build around a player's strengths, but that's what the Broncos are doing. But so yeah, all the focus, you know, on Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, but what really stood out to me uh, studying the Broncos was, you know, Noah Fant might be even more ready to explode than we realize. Um, we're, I was talking about Gardner Minshew's rookie stats. I mean, Fant's uh, 562 yards last year were the 15th most by a tight end since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. Um, his 14.1 yards per catch were 13th most. And this was a three different quarterbacks, you know, kind of none of them good last year. And, uh, you know, a friend of the podcast, Mr. Matt Kelly, playerprofiler.com. Uh, I love – We I think we all probably love his best comparable tool. Uh, Noah Fant's best comparable is George Kittle. And, you know, it's the first round tight end who came out, you know, with a playmaking re- reputation, came to the NFL, immediately made plays and you know, not a good situation, not a good setup last year. And basically it was who we thought he was. And it's, it's not like he's flying under the radar, but just not a whole lot of Noah Fant talk, I feel like, this offseason. And he's someone who could just be ready to explode. Yeah, when I, when I was uh, – I'm doing these video recaps as well for these team previews, and when I was going through your Broncos preview, the Noah Fant uh, paragraph was the one that stood out to me the most, just how elite of a talent this guy uh, really is and what his upside could be if he gets the volume. And that's where I keep coming back to with the Broncos is who's going to be truly uh, calling the offense? Is Vic Fangio going to let this offense be a downfield passing attack are they going to stop running the ball as much as they did 
last season, even last year, they were 29th in offensive plays, 28th in scoring. Uh, unless that changes, players like Noah Fant, like Jerry Judy, and like someone like uh, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, they're going to be kind of just restricted on how much of a fantasy ceiling they can have because of Cortland Sutton being the number one option. So I'm curious to see, will this Broncos offense change their identity? Will they actually allow Drew Locke to air it out more? And it's not just going to be a team that's going to be relying on uh, using their two stud running backs with a strong defense. It was stood out to me, Pat, when I was just looking at targets across the team. And obviously, Cortland Sutton had like 126 last year or something like that. But number two on the team was was Noah Fant. I mean, he's already has some confidence and ha- they have some belief in him to some point. Like people are projecting a second step. Well, the second step might still be, you know, being that number two option for Drew Locke. And I think it's fair to criticize a lot of what John Elway has done since the Peyton Manning era. Um, you know, it's it's been a lot of stumbles, including hyping up Joe Flacco prior to last season. But, you know, a lot of times when you're talking about decision makers and roster builders across the NFL, so much of it are these like little windows where you get super lucky. I wonder if this is like a little window when the Broncos are getting really lucky, just based on talents that have fallen to them. You know, Bradley Chubb, who, you know, has yet to have a complete full season, it's, it feels like, but there's a lot of potential there with Von Miller on the defensive side of the ball. Someone like Alexander Johnson, who they just plugged into the starting lineup at inside linebacker last year and played fantastic football. Then offense, I mean, it's just loaded with playmakers. Obviously, Corton Sutton took a massive jump in 2019. Then you add two rookies and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and Hamler. No one is talking about as one of the best burners in this draft class and Noah Fant down there working the seam and maybe the most athletic tight end in the NFL. You know, if if that is a little lucky window, it's a super difficult division that the Broncos are in, but it would be a very, very fun and enjoyable team if they do hit their stride. Yeah. I mean, you have to give John Alley credit. And the easy thing to do would have been to like lean into like Drew Locke's question marks and to say this guy is too risky to build an offense around. We're going to triple down on the run, which they still did. They still got to upgrade. You know, last year they had a perfectly fine two-man backfield. Now they're going to have a lot better two-man backfield. Philip Lindsay is better as a 1B back than a 1A back. And but yeah, instead of like, you know, playing scared, uh they they know the Drew Lock can make plays down the field. They're leaning into that. It might fail spectacularly but they're putting him in a position to succeed and they're putting their offense in position to take a massive step forward over the past few years. And especially the Flacco games last year where it was just a, basically a stone age offense. Yeah. I liked what Elway did here just because you're giving Drew Locke every chance to succeed. And this year we'll learn if Drew Locke is the answer or not. And if he is the answer, then you invest into the offensive line more next off season. But no matter what, either the Broncos are going to finish five and 11 and Drew Locke just didn't have it. And then they draft a, uh, one of these stud quarterbacks coming out or drew lock pieces it together. There's enough around him that they could win nine, 10 games, maybe try to compete for a wild card spot. So I think this was the right off season for the Broncos. I agree. I agree. Okay. One team left. It's all yours. Hayden winks. All right. Uh, during the Cleveland Browns preview, obviously the big thing was the coaching change. I think that hey, I'm is- going to interrupt you. I just don't know why you spent 2,000 words writing about their uniforms. In the yeah, exactly. Yes. Browns uniforms. <laughs> exactly. Outside of the, the uniforms, it is the Kevin Stefanski play action thing that is everyone's been talking about. And what that means is Odell Beckham is going to be 
do for just all of these long touchdowns. I mean, he was third in air yards last year, but he was 23rd in receiving yards. So I think just on talent alone, you should expect Odell to be much higher than that, uh, especially if you look at his deep targets. Um, I did it like this deep target model where Odell Beckham completely underperformed. He was one of the worst deep target receivers in the league. And if you watch in the last four or five seasons, you know that's just not the case at all. So I think when when he's healthy this year, he said he's already back to 100% after having one of his like worst uh, surgeries of his life, he said, about this uh, sports training surgery. But he's back to 100%. And then the other thing is in the red zone last year, one of 11 of his red zone targets went for touchdown. So if we get 80%, 90% of Odell, and if we can get Baker Mayfield to not play like the 29th best quarterback in the NFL <laughs> – we're going to be looking at Odell Beckham competing for a top 12, top 14, top 15 uh, receiver production. After last year, he was like a wide receiver 30. I mean, we know, yeah, the storyline basically of 2020 for the Browns is going to be the like how this play action attack uh, unfolds because Baker Mayfield last year, at least according to profile football focus uh, was somehow one of the worst play action quarterbacks in the NFL, but Kevin Stefanski on paper is the man to fix that. And, that Odell red zone stat you just I mean, that's just disgusting. I mean, have we ever seen a worse red zone offense or at least worse play calls in the red zone than we got from Freddie Kitchens and the Browns last year? Just out of their depth, no plan, uh, just such a poorly designed offense. They It's a terrible cliche. I mean, they really do have nowhere to go but up. And maybe uh, we got, you know, two, two, two down, like two on to the Baker Mayfield hype train after like a decent rookie year um but he's still someone I mean, he's better than the 29th best quarterback in the nfl like you said and uh, yeah it's a very a very easy uh, step forward to spot with the browns offense this year he was the wide receiver 34 in fancy points per game last year i mean awesome. that's that's straight unacceptable for potentially the most talented wide receiver in the nfl i could not fathom that okay cannot fathom that we have seen crazier things repeat themselves though than, a, than the browns being you know, just as bad as they were the previous year. You so know, this I, is about the 19th time the Browns have been saved uh, the past 20 years. So, right. uh, um, and it's not like this, this team is void of questions, you know, like they drafted a tackle who I think a lot of us believe is incredibly talented in Jedrick Wills, but he played right tackle at Alabama. They're going to ask him to shift over immediately and play left tackle. They pay easy to do in a coronavirus offseason. Very right. easy. They played Jack Conklin a ton of money to play right tackle. And, you know, while I think he made some all pros and stuff like that, if you go and watch him, the Titans surely gave him a bunch of help there on the right side as well. You know, the interior of their offensive line, I think Joe Petonio is awesome, J.C. Treader. Um, but Baker Mayfield, it all comes back to him. All roads lead to Baker, and he just has to play better. Because, yes, we can bring up Freddie Kitchens and his play calling in the red zone. We can bring up Odell's injury, right? We can bring up tackle uncertainty from last season but when it all worked when it all was perfect in unison baker still let this team down and that is truly unacceptable um i don't know there's no way to sugarcoat he just wasn't good and you know he's not the first quarterback that's had a bad setup uh, but you know good quarterbacks can overcome bad setups and baker mayfield did not last year and to keep continuing my super long interruption, another huge question mark for the Browns is Jarvis Landry's hip injury. He's supposedly going to be ready for week one, uh, but he's coming off a very serious injury. Yeah, I'm going to ask my younger brother who sat next to Jedrick Wills at an Alabama literature class last 
or two semesters <laughs> ago to see if how my brother thinks Jedrick Wills can transition uh, to the left side. But I think either way, it's going to be an upgrade at right tackle and at left tackle. Jess, they brought in so, so much more talent with uh, Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills that you have to assume that the offensive line is going to have to play better. And if you are using a lot of play action, which we do expect, the tackles have to hold up on the edge. So they're going to be a key here. But I think that's just only going to be a plus for Odell. It's going to allow him to work downfield more so than ever. The number one rule in Big J journalism, Hayden, is to not give up your sources. And you just did that. <laughs> you just did that willy-nilly. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Stefanski, he says all the right things, doesn't he, Hayden? I mean, citing right. play action right, citing, you know, you don't have, have to have rushing success in order for play action to work. Uh, this team is going to have rushing success. I mean, they have the two of the most ten, top ten talented running backs, I think, in the NFL. Um, so maybe Stefanski is the guy, right? Maybe he is the one that that can turn this around. I sure hope so. You know, I, I do hope so. But I feel like, Pat, we just were here 365 days ago. And I'll also say with Stefanski, we don't truly know. I mean, Gary Kubiak was kind of like the man behind the curtain in Minnesota last year. We don't truly know how much credit for the Vikings 2019 offense belongs to Kevin Stefanski or Gary Kubiak. I mean, we're pretty sure Stefanski was calling the plays on game day. Um, But, I mean, there was a very heavy Gary Kubiak influence there. And uh, so Stefanski, I mean, this was a very quick promotion for him. Um, So we'll see. The other thing real quick is just the front office is just significantly better. Like yeah. uh, Andrew Barry, I mean, you're talking about a Harvard grad played football masters in computer science. He's just been surrounding himself with all these brilliant uh, minds. And I just think that he has a much better process. And it seems like when Josh, when we were at the NFL combine, when they were at the podium, if you listen to Stefanski and then Andrew Barry right after them, they were saying the exact same thing. And that is so big. You don't see that across um, the NFL as often as you would think, especially with the Cleveland Browns in the last 25 <laughs> years, that I think we are finally able to start dipping our toe in the water and finally betting on the Browns with a little more confidence. And I'm not I'm not as scared that we're going to have like a 2019 Browns repeat where we're like, what the heck happened? Doesn't it feel like 10 years ago when John Dorsey got that job and made all those comments of, well, now we're going to get real football players. And just like most of NFL media, just like, ate it up like it was cereal in the morning. Like they're just like, oh, this guy's just exactly what the Browns need. Well, look where they are right now. You know, back exactly where they were a couple of years ago. And I'm with you, Hayden. Um, having people with the same goal who don't mind most likely conflict in terms of evaluations and roster building, but understand the right way to to build a team. And it certainly seems like the Browns have that. This is their best shot than they've had than they've had in a long time. And Again, as Austin Hooper, best shot since last year. I mean, it's not going to do overboard. And and as Austin Hooper creeps towards that, like tight end twelve, tight end eleven mark, I'm starting to buy him at that price. So, okay, I know you're you're not you're not into it, Pat. I saw. No, I I was going to say I was actually going to like. He's real quick aside. Austin Hooper is one of those people where like people like staying away from him, like with a ten foot pole, where we've already like baked in a ton of regression. Yep. Yeah, he's totally acceptable uh, at that ADP. It is funny that we can talk about the Browns for five minutes and not even bring up that they have the highest paid tight end this offseason. That's just like like storyline number five. And that like it's typically would be uh, a headliner. All right. That's going to do it for us. Again, if you enjoyed these mini team previews, maybe you want to check out the whole thing. Go and check out the full team previews up on RotoWorld. I will continue to post them throughout the weekend. And by the way, starting next week on Tuesday show and Friday show, We will go with one burning question 
for every single NFL team out there because supposedly, supposedly, training camp is supposed to start on July 28th, and we want to have those questions asked before all these teams report to training camp. So the AFC will be on Tuesday, and the NFC will be on Friday. So for Handsome Hayden Weeks, for Patrick Bennett-Doherty, up the villa. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.